Praise the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I respectfully invite you to please stand for the reading of the word. Let me see if I... And we will be reading from the book of Numbers, the fourth book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 24. Numbers 24, 1 through 19. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go, as at other times, to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall, shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild, of, of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness who will, who will rouse him up. Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee to your own place. I said, I, said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, not, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me, if Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now behold, I'm going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. Heavenly Father, twice you told Balaam that he should speak only, only your words. Yet he disobeyed. 
Help me, Father, to speak your words, not my words. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. So we are well into the Christmas season. Arguably, Christmas is one of the most important celebrations of the year. Um, in my opinion, it comes secondary only to uh, Easter. So Christmas is very important because that means the advent or the coming of Jesus Christ. But at the cross, the salvific plan of God was materialized through the sacrifice of Jesus. So I would say, actually, in life, the most important two celebrations, the two celebrations that are the most important, Christmas and Easter. Christmas, as I said before, is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, often referred to as the advent of the Lord, the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this past Monday at Christian, Christian Club at school, because I sponsor a Christian club, among other things, we discussed about the importance of Christmas and how easily, due to other traditions and interests, we tend to digress and ignore the very purpose, the very purpose of the celebration, the person of Jesus Christ, the one who should be exclusively at the center of the Christmas celebration. Jesus, as we often say, and we're used to hearing this, Jesus is the reason for the season. Not Santa, not the tree, not shopping, not food, not cozonach or sarmale, right? Or carnats. While many of these things are not necessarily intrinsically bad, they often have a tendency to eclipse the point of our celebration, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is the response of the Father to the sinfulness of the world. In his name, Emmanuel, the Father brings us to him because we were separated. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses. And now comes one that makes the connection between us and the Father because our sins put a wall of separation between us and him. And he says his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. We were separated, we were dead in the person of Jesus Christ. In his advent, at Christmas, we celebrate the connection back to the Father. It is very sad that sometimes we are, or people, I'm not going to talk about us, but generally people are in the Christmas celebration which is Christ Mass. Christ Mass means the celebration of Christ. And it's sad, I was saying, because they place their focus and their attention and their energy and their efforts on anything else but Christ. But Christ. And so today we're reminded of a prophet, albeit a false prophet, as we will see for he practiced divination and sorcery, as we learn, Balaam, the son of Beor, upon whom the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came. That's intriguing. A false prophet upon whom the Spirit of the Lord came, and he prophesied. 
He prophesied about the coming of the Messiah in his fourth prophecy. In, actually, in chapter 24, it is his fourth prophecy in two parts. And it says here, allow me to just read verses 17 through 19 again. I see him. He's prophesying. I see the Messiah. I see Christ coming. But not now. I behold him. But not near. This is Jesus. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and here now, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. These are the words of Balaam. Under the inspiration, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in him, he's prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. And sadly, we see that he missed the point. Just like many of us, not us here, but speaking generally, people, humankind, missing the point of Christmas. Balaam's prophetic word about the advent of the king... Jesus, the Messiah, is one of the several. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. And I will refer quickly just to a few of them to show you how God throughout the uh, history of redemption announced how he was going to save humanity. He said it, he prophesied, he predicted beforehand because he has the power to do so. And we're going to look really quickly at a few uh, prophecies. And Pastor Romy um, reminded us here that there are more than 350 prophecies in, prophecies in the Old Testament predicting the coming, the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And uh, I'm not going to get into this, but the probability of all these prophecies, and he, he was actually saying just eight of them, to come true is slim to none. One in 10 to the 17th power. So let's take a look at some prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus. Genesis, Genesis 20, 22, verse 18, we are told through Abraham's offering, offspring, excuse me, offspring, the birth of another person, all nations on earth will be blessed. And we all believe that this is the fulfillment of this prophecy is in the birth of Jesus Christ. We also know that he is from the line of Jacob. And we saw today, I will refer to this text a little later again, Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, the Messiah, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come from out of Jacob. So from the lineage of Jacob, it is prophesied the Messiah will be born on, the, on this lineage, excuse me. A scepter will rise out of Israel. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, We know he is from the line of Jesse, the father of King David. It says here, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Messiah. Jeremiah 23, 23 verses 5 and 6. We know he is from the line of King David. The days are coming. 
declares the Lord, when I will rise up to, for David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteous Savior, the Messiah. And again, reaffirming the line of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring to succeed you. And many people say that the full fulfillment of this was in Solomon, but we see that it, it, did not fully, it was not fully accomplished in the reign of Solomon. It says here, your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever, his kingdom forever. So yes, Solomon built a house to the Lord, a temple, but then by extension, we can look at Jesus Christ building the spiritual house of God and Jesus's kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom, is forever and ever. And then in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, we know he was born into the tribe of Judah in the region of Ephrathah, in the town of Bethlehem. It was even the location was predicted and prophesied about beforehand. But you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be, who will be ruler, ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. God himself, God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In Isaiah 7, 14, we know that he was born from a virgin. Even how he was born was predicted. Therefore, Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. What sign? The virgin will be with child and, I will, and will give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. And that indicates the divinity of Jesus. You see, I was thinking last night, uh, yesterday we had um, a Zoom meeting with uh, the extended Lupash family uh, from Romania, from the across the United States, and everybody had the chance to introduce themselves and say something about how God worked in their lives. And... Um, um, I like Fratele Marius Lunca, uh, he's a pastor, and um, uh, I liked his testimony. And one of the things that struck with me, and it's in line with this because God predicts the future, God foretells what's going to happen. He said that um, before Uncle Yonika, Marcel's dad, passed, to be, passed on to be with the Lord, Sora, his wife, um, um, Norika had a dream, and in the dream, she said she saw herself preparing or sewing clothes for funeral, for a funeral. And her daughter Dana asked her, "Are you preparing some for me too?" And she said, "No, you will not need any clothes for funeral." Now, short shortly after, they all got seriously sick with COVID. And we know that Brother Mario Sulunka has underlying conditions. He was in the hospital. He was pretty bad. He was, I mean, badly sick. And he was going to be put on a ventilator. And, uh, you know, miraculously, God touched him and he, he was healed. I can tell you the whole story. It, take, it would take a little longer. But the fact that Unkionika actually passed on to be with the Lord was predicted 
to his wife in a dream. She was preparing funeral clothes. God tells us, it's with me many times, you know, God speaks to me in a dream or even through a prophetic word, and then it, it comes true. And that is, that is how God works for us. And that's what we see here. God predicts what he will do through his people. It is interesting, however, that today, in this passage, the prophecy comes through a person that we learn is not right with God. I, I read a list of, of verses from people throughout the scripture that were people that walked with the Lord, people that had a true relationship with God. But not Balaam. We know that Balaam is a, a prophet who's largely described throughout scripture in negative terms. He's given, actually he's given significant space in the Bible, a lot of verses in the Bible about Balaam. 59 verses across eight books. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Isaiah, Micah, 1 Peter, Jude, Revelation, they all make mention of Balaam. There's something about Balaam that we need to learn. In the New Testament, the readers are warned against three things, the doctrine of, of Balaam, the teaching of Balaam, the error of Balaam, and also the way of Balaam. In a nutshell, Balaam's problem was his greed. And we will see that, his insatiable desire for material possessions. And due to that, he missed the whole point of his own prophecy, the whole point of Christmas, because he had a lot of greed and because he loved material things more than the work of God in his life. At first reading, however, it is not overtly presented, it's rather conspicuous, because if you read chapters 22, 23, and 24 from the book of Numbers, it is not immediately clear that Balaam is a bad prophet. As a matter of fact, you, you would say, well, he listens to God. When, when Balak sends his emissaries, his envoy, to invite him to come and curse the people of Israel, he says, I'm going to have to inquire of the Lord. So he prays and God says, you shall not go because these people are blessed. So you would say, well, you see, Balaam is obeying the Lord. The second time Balak, the king of Moab, sends emissaries and a bigger envoy with more princes from uh, Moab and from Midian to convince him to go with them. And he says, even if the king was to give me his house full of silver, I would not be able to go against the will of God. You're trying in vain to come and convince me here, but he says, remain with me overnight, and then we'll see if the Lord speaks to me. And then the Lord says, did the people come back to you? What you're going to do, you're going to go with them. Go with them, but only say what I tell you to say. So he gives him a stern, adamant command. You will go with them, but don't say anything that I don't tell you to say. Now it is, it is very interesting that um, immediately after, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord met him on the road because God was angry with him, for he went. And that may be conflicting and intriguing. Why? God told him to go, and now he's mad at him because he went? What is going on here? And um, I would like to read to you it is actually the first indication that Balaam is a false prophet, is a sorcerer. Although in appearance, at first sight, he may be a person that loves God, a prophet of the Lord, his heart is not with the Lord. 
Numbers 22, verse 32. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you. And here is what the angel of the Lord says, because your way is perverse before me. In other words, you may appear to be walking in obedience to me. You have the right facade, the right spiritual uh, presentation, if you want. You're going through the motion, but in your heart, your ways are perverse. Because you see, Balaam, while he said, even if the king were to give me all the silver in his house, I would not be able to go against the will of God. He doesn't say, I wouldn't want to go against the will of God. He's saying, Literally, I can't because there's a spiritual law that impedes me from doing something that you're asking me to do. Not that he didn't want to. As a matter of fact, they don't even mention money to Balaam. They say the king will give you honor if you come the second time. The first time around, they they brought the price for divination. But the second time around, they said he will give you honor. And Balaam immediately mentions money. Well, even if he were to give me his house full of silver. Well, nobody said that. That's, that's kind of like a, a clue to where his heart was. One application, though, from uh, the fact that in this episode with the donkey, the donkey speaks to him, right? After he strikes the donkey three times because the donkey, seeing the angel of the Lord, tries to divert his way or her way, right? Uh, Balaam is mad and strikes the donkey and says to the donkey, if I had a sword, I would have killed you, and the donkey speaks back to him. So one, one application I was saying is that if God, and Pastor Romy mentioned this, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through anyone. You know, many times we, or several times, lots of times, oftentimes, we look at people by the manifestation of the gift in their life, and we give them grades, Grades in the sense that we assess them and say, well, because I see this, they must be really spiritual. And God kind of like prepares us, you know, gives us this episode before speaking through Balaam, speaking, making a donkey speak. Now, this is where the world will say, okay, come on, in all seriousness, do you really believe that a donkey spoke? Uh, scientifically, we know that a donkey doesn't even have a voice box to be able to enunciate or to make phonemes. And um, how in the world do you think that a donkey spoke? And uh, brothers and sisters, our God is a God that gives life to the dead. And the, the Jesus Christ walks on water and, and uh, um, performs a lot of miracles at his word. The lame walk, the blind see, things that are not appear. Do you think it would be difficult for this almighty God to make a donkey speak? No. As a matter of fact, Caiaphas, he was the high priest, right? But he condemned Jesus. He had hatred against Jesus. He didn't even know that he was prophesying. The Bible says that Caiaphas said what? It is better for one person to die than the whole nation to perish. And he didn't even know he was prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will work through people at His will, as Pastor Romeo was saying, because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. To make a long story short here, Balaam teaches Balak now how to build seven altars three times. Now, please pay attention. God told him, go with them. But don't do anything else. What does Balaam do? 
He says, okay, this is what you need to do. Seven is a, the number of perfection. You're going to build seven altars. And you're going you're gonna to sacrifice a bull and a ram on each one of them. In other words, hoping that he was going to change the heart of God and God would allow him to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel and ensure some sort of victory on the ground. Seven times. And then instead, you know, practicing his omens, instead of placing the curse on them, he blesses them. And then Balak is upset and takes him to another mountain and then to another mountain until he says, I'm done with you. I, I brought you here to curse the people of Israel and instead you're continuously blessing them. I would have given you honor, but the Lord has withheld honor from you. Now, Balaam says in chapter 23, verse 8, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Or in verse 20 of chapter 23, Behold, I received the command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. Now, I, I, I would potentially want to help you out, Balak, and do this because he had a great reputation of a diviner who used to cast spells and to whatever he was blessing he would be blessed as, ba as Balak says in chapter 22. Whatever Balaam would curse would be cursed. And Balaam, in other words, says, I would like to help you, but no one can go against the counsel of God, against the divine counsel. Nobody, nobody can oppose God and his rules. A good application here is Never be afraid of people that say that they will curse you. As you are in Christ, no curse can touch you. Even Balaam, who's a sorcerer, a diviner, who wanted to obtain the riches, as we see in Revelation and Peter, saying that he wanted an un unrighteous gain for himself. He couldn't do it because God said they're blessed. As long as you abide in the Lord, as long as you're in Christ, no curse can touch you. No curse can affect you. He says, I received the command to bless. He has blessed. I cannot go against that. I cannot revoke it. And so Balaam receives a true revelation from the Lord. And after his experience, one could conclude Okay, now fourth time, because it's really specifically stated that Balaam was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God came upon him, you would say, okay, maybe now he's going to be transformed. Maybe he's going to be changed. Because the Spirit of God came upon him. He saw the vision of the Almighty. It says here, um, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eye is opened. Now even let's say that before his eyes were closed because he really wanted the material things that he could have obtained from Balak. Now he says for the first time, the oracle of Balaam whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God. His eyes open, he hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with eyes uncovered. You see, this prophecy demonstrates that actually Balaam speaks the words of God. It is actually a, uh, in, in congruence with a prophecy from 
Genesis chapter 49, and it was mentioned here this morning where Jacob blesses uh, Judah, and Judah is, um, you know, the, the ancestor, if you want, or the forefather of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that I would like for all of us to pay attention to is this. False prophets will not come with a back sign saying false prophet. False prophets, a lot of the times, will say the truth. Will say a lot of the truth, but not all the truth. You will hear them quoting scripture. As a matter of fact, Satan coming to Jesus to tempt him, quoted scripture out of context. Out of context. Now, how do we identify these false prophets? They will always take things out of context and make it not about God. Don't put your trust in God, but make it about you. Make it about you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Beware, false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. At first appearance, at first sight, you would say they're good. They're good people. They talk about God. They quote scripture. They must be right. What does the Bible say here? What does Jesus say? He's saying, you will recognize them by how many prophecies they say, how much they speak in tongues, or how many healings are occurred when they place their hands upon the sea. No, you will know them by their fruit. You see, charisma and gifts on someone's life are not the distinguishing sign of a true Christian. It can be very deceptive, as many times we assess by what we see in the exteriors. And we validate people by their external output, if you want. What does the Bible say, say in Galatians 5, 22 and 23? Everybody should know this, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How will I know them, Lord? By their fruit. By their fruit. We have all witnessed many times how people whom we perceive to be spiritual titans, spiritual titans, and I'm not going to name anyone, but they were eventually exposed, living in habitual sin of greed and sensuality, promiscuity, fraud. People that were prominent on our screens, people that we always looked up to, right? Because they spoke so eloquently. They were so fluid. They, they had such great ideas. And then they got exposed. Do, will we know them by... Did God actually speak through these people? I believe so. 
I believe so. God chooses to speak through whomever he wants. But that does not validate the relationship with God. Christmas is about Jesus coming to save us and to transform us into his likeness. He saw a seed of followers, people that would be more and more like Christ, and he rejoiced. Jesus came for us to emulate him, to become like him, to be Christ-like. The, the, the purpose of the manger the coming of the Lord Jesus in our lives, in, in this world, is for us to accept his nature. Because he died for us and made it possible for us to now be transformed. So yes, we see, we hear about a, a lot of people, you know, that are prominent. They are up there on the stage in the spotlight and then all of a sudden they get exposed. Luke chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 say this. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So whatever people think, oh, nobody can see me. It's in secret. I know how to take care of stuff. I know how to hide and conceal things. The Bible says that nothing that is covered up, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. It is very clear that Balaam's eyes were fixed on the riches he could, could have amassed from King Balak had he been able to turn God around and allow him to effectively curse the people of Moab. Second Peter, the people of Israel. Excuse me, yes. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15 says, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. What, what was the way of Balaam? The son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Jude 1, 11 says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. One other thing that I, I stopped at and I thought was really interesting is, was the fact that, you know, after it feels like the episode is over and now Balaam goes home and Balak goes to his own things and everything's done, actually things don't stop here. If you read in Numbers chapter 31, verses 15 and 16, Moses says this, after the people of Israel fell into sin with the um, Moabite and Midianite women and worship the Baals and their gods, Moses says this, speaking to the people, have you let all the women live? Behold these, and pay attention, on Balaam's advice. What? I thought it was over. I thought Balaam went home. No, these women, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. So the episode was not over 
The Bible stops right there in Numbers 24 and moves on to the sin of the Israel, Israelites with the women of Midian in chapter 25. But something happened in between. And Moses tells us here in chapter 31 that at Balaam's advice, the women enticed the people of Israel to come and worship their gods, their pagan gods. So Balak said, the Lord has withheld honor with you, so now go home. He's mad. He strikes his hands together and says, you go home. I believe that at this point, Balaam said, oh, okay, hold on. Hold, hold on just a second. It is true that I cannot and I will never be able to curse the people of Israel, for they are blessed, and whatever God blesses cannot be cursed. But they themselves can attract the curse of God upon themselves. They can because they serve a jealous God. And if you entice them somehow to come and worship your gods, that will anger their God who will punish them and the curse of God will fall upon them. So Balaam knows the spiritual laws. He says, I cannot do anything for you because God has blessed them, but they themselves can attract the curse of God upon themselves. And so sad, he succeeded in that, because we see a lot of them died, right? Brothers and sisters, we are protected in the covenant by the blood of Christ and by the sacrifice of Jesus. We are shielded as long as we abide in the Lord. Jesus said, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Stay in the Lord. Live with God. Do not get out, of the, out from under the perimeter of God's protection. You alone can sever your relationship with God. You alone, you hardening your heart, can separate you from God. What Balaam couldn't do, he couldn't place the curse on them. The people of Israel could do. They could attract the punishment of God upon them. One thing, uh, and I will conclude with this, Satan will try a side door if he cannot destroy you through the frontal attack. Satan will always try a side door if he cannot destroy you through a frontal attack. If you look at the church under persecution, the church proliferated, the church grew, the church became larger and bigger. But what happened when the church was institutionalized? Look at Europe, all these, these cathedrals and big monumental churches, empty, devoid of life, no power. How did it happen? Well, if we can't do it by persecuting, by frontal attack, let's befriend them. Let's become friends with these people. Balak, you have a chance, Balaam says. You're not going to be able to make God, convince God, because as, as was quoted here, whatever he says, will he not do? Is he a man to change his mind? He will never do that. But if you go to them in a friendly, in a nice way, convince them to come to worship you and your images, then that will bring the curse of God upon them. So if Satan cannot do it through trials and other things that God allows in our lives, he will come a different way. How about we give him prosperity? How about we give him popularity? 
How about we make him really liked by the people around him? Because when people start applauding you and telling you that you're good and love you, your ego starts to be inflated and you start to Oh, feel good about yourself. Isn't it interesting that even in our churches many times, and I'm not speaking about this local church, but in churches, we make it about people and things that we would have never accepted before. We accept them now because the devil is conniving. He doesn't strike us with them. He comes in a friendly way. What if? Wouldn't wouldn't this feel good to make it this way? Many of our songs sometimes are about Me, 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 the Lord is for me, just me, just me, me, me. And here, how many of these lyrics put a focus and the center of attention on me? Because we no longer worship at the altar of God, but worship at the altar of me. So if the devil was not able to catch us through drugs, pornography, drinking, he's going to come and give you fame and popularity and say oh you know what these are pleasing these are good these are good things that everybody should embrace he will come the side door to get us I didn't even get into the prophecy itself but Jesus is the star of Jacob. The Bible says that he, Jesus himself in Revelation 22, he's the bright morning star. He is the one that delivers us. He's the one that protects us, who protects us and helps us. He is the scepter of Jacob, the king of kings, as Pastor Romy talked about, and he will talk about his priesthood tonight, or prophet. Prophet. So brothers and sisters, let's stand up and uh, thank God for this day and say, Lord, we don't want to fall prey to the schemes of the enemy. We want to be um, aware and beware as well of his schemes and strategies and be able through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. In this season, we are not going to be diverted. Our attention is not going to be taken away from Jesus and placed on us, but we will focus on him and on him alone. Amen.